Welcome. I'm Richard Prosh, and this is another edition of Six Gun Justice Conversations. These are regular downloads where my co-host, Paul Bishop, or I get to hang out around the virtual Six Gun Justice campfire and spend some time talking with friends who work in the Western genre. With me for this edition is author Mark Hatmaker. Mark Hatmaker is the author of numerous books and instructional videos in the domain of Western martial arts, vintage boxing, classical submission wrestling, and pragmatic street defense. He blogs at indigenousabilityblogspot.com and at Western Musings. To learn more about his work, please visit www.extremeselfprotection.com. Hey, Mark, thanks for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Rich. Thanks for asking me. I'm going to just jump in here. You are known for your extremeselfprotection.com website, mm-hmm. and media on boxing, MMA, etc. But during the past few years, you've added a twist which is uh, old school scuffling, frontier martial arts. Let's talk about that. What, where did that come from? Sure, uh, absolutely. I feel like uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, if I if I have any expertise whatsoever, and I don't claim any, it's been like said the old school historical boxing, old school historical wrestling, old school ways of uh, you know, you know, throwing throwing hands and you know, you know, twisting the bodies. And uh, since I was always in the to the historical side of it, I realized I got a bit tunnel visioned. Uh, just only looking at the boxing and wrestling aspect. And the more I was doing the research to kind of widen the realm a little bit, I was uh, completely and I was becoming woefully aware of how much I, I was not including all the other aspects that were, you know, were moving around at the combat arena um, at these times from the from the early frontier, from the frontiers of America, some including Canada, uh, Mexico, Central America and South America in there as well. And uh, I thought it, it's such a wealth of uh, of material, and also the older I get, I mean, you got to stay creatively priming the pump all the time. I thought, no, I, I got to get this. I've got to start doing this as well. And it's kind of kind of more from that. I still, good God, I still love the boxing and the wrestling, absolutely the old school stuff. But this, the you know, frontier rough and tumble overlay has definitely become a, a huge passion because it just there's just such there's so much there, so much. Yeah, and you're kind of on the cutting edge of that sort of thing, and you know that's not a not, no pun intended. I mean, but 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 some of this stuff, you know, the the tomahawk fighting and the I haven't seen a lot of that out there. I haven't seen a lot of books, a, a lot of stuff. It seems like you're you're kind of breaking some new ground with that. Well, you know, there is uh, it's kind of you to say there there are others out there, you know, you know, uh, you know, following that path as well. I will say if there's anything that perhaps uh, I'm bringing to the table, I'm not saying others aren't doing this as well. Is uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a dogged researcher, man. I mean, I mean, I go I go deep, deep, deep on these archaeological digs uh, past just primary sources, original sources. I subscribe to so many different historical societies. I prowl estate sales. I mean, I stay in contact with. Uh, it, it's just uh, there's a lot of work. It's a labor of love. A whole lot of work involved to get it get at that. So always trying to find the new nuggets. Unfortunately, there seems to be a, a brand new nugget turning up all the time. You know, it's like pull on one thread and that pulls on another and there's just this tapestry, right? Everything's. You know, oh, absolutely. You absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, it's like the, there's an old TV show connections, you know, where the, the guy goes through history <laughs> yeah. and he, he finds one thing that leads to the next leads to the next. And it takes you down a rabbit hole, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that show. I think James Burke was the host of that. I love yeah, exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. when I, I think also what we're looking at when we're doing this old school stuff as well, you've got to immerse yourself in uh, resources and such. So even outside of that arena, the, the initial arena that you would think would be important and, and wrestling, there's a lot of, it's called leg wrestling or leg riding or spurring in where you're using your legs to control an opponent. This is from a top position, not on the back where you're using a guard position for those of us familiar with MMA and jujitsu. Uh, but from the top position, 
And I'm only telling this story to kind of get it to how you want to look at areas outside of the general area of combat. Uh, we forget at the time that a lot of these guys were talking leg wrestling and developing what they did. The mode of travel was primarily going to be horseback. And of course, we take it for granted. Oh, you, this is how you ride a horse and such. I recently spent uh, a, a good week, uh, you know, riding. I mean, we've all, most of us have ridden before as well, but I had the opportunity to have a really good man uh, teach me uh, more than a few things about bareback riding. Once I get on their bareback riding, one, he was kind enough to say, hey, you're taking to this pretty easily. Not to say I was good, like maybe an advanced rookie going from it. But I feel like, because he was say, hey, you got good balance, got good leg strength and all this. And I thought, well, this is a lot like, you know, leg riding and wrestling. And then also you could do the flip side of it. You realize, hey, this is what these guys were doing. Everyone was doing all the time. So there's this transfer of going my leg riding and wrestling helped my bareback riding. And also what I was picking up during all that bareback work, I thought I've already taken back to the wrestling and went, hey, this is a different way to kind of spur in. And it kind of already uh, augmented that. So you got to look at everything that was going on in that milieu at the time and kind of uh, see how they kind of interplay and blend and meld with one another. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I, I'm always amazed at how strong those, the, the people were back then. You know, my, my great, great grandpa came over from Germany, you know, and I've got, I've got his trunk that he brought and, you know, he carried it himself. He just, he hoisted it onto his back and you know, there's no way I could do that. You know, just look right. around and he, it's, it's amazing. So, um, Let's talk a little bit about the Comanche influence. Now, you actually have kind of gone down through the research in that, too. Uh, oh, absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of Comanche stuff, and, and you speak the language, right? I speak it like a like an infant. How's that? <laughs> I'm working hard at it. And there was a, there's two stories behind – well, it's kind of a twin narrative about why – Comanche. One was just chance. I came across an old volume written in the 1860s by, uh, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, Manuel Garcia Rejon. Uh, he, uh, and I loved this old vocabulary. It just is basically a short, small dictionary of the words he was hearing because they were all contemporary at the time. So there, the earlier spiritual references or the, the warrior references and even a lot of the uh, so-called dirty words are involved in there and more contemporary vocabularies are clearly more contemporary based. I was fascinated by this being an actual snapshot of what you were hearing at the time. And so I thought, I'm going to give a shot at trying to learn this. The other thing that made me lean to is one, it's a, you know, since it's a tribe with a good deal of warrior culture to it, clearly that's attractive. It's like, it's like being attracted to Viking culture, for for example. uh, the other thing about it was the fact that the Comanches had, had such a huge empire, it became the Comanche language was sort of a trade language. So it means many other tribes knew it and many of the Comancheros or uh, Anglos had to know some smatterings of it as well. So being at least loosely familiar with Comanche has opened up even more resources for me. It's like being familiar with border Spanish, a bit of Comanche allows my research to go a little bit further than if I only stuck and knew my English only. Right, right. So how did you, how did you then start to get some practical experience with the the tomahawks and things like that, the edged weapons that they used? Everything is just, you know, it's an experimental process. Everything you come across in research, I think everyone does this. We're all self-taught when you get down to it in the sense that no matter what, if you sit in a classroom and you hear something from somebody, that information just lies inert unless or until you do something with it. So uh, that's why you can have a you know, classroom of 30 people, you know, like you got you know, four people with A's and, you know, you know, six people failing and everyone's in the middle. The ones with the A's are the ones who probably actively went and used the information. Same thing with everything else. Everything I come across and work with, we always say it's like ring tested, Matt tempered. We take it, we work on it. 
uh, we go, hey, let's give this a shot until we completely understand what's meant by it and see if it shakes out, if it's a true piece of material or something we can actually use. And then you keep honing and working it and also applying your past experiences to it uh, and land on top of it. So that's why I'm saying there's really few primary resources. Like uh, I've yet to see where you're going to come across, hey, here's a 1768, a whole manual on how to use a tomahawk. It doesn't exist as far as I know. You don't see it. You're going to have to work piecemeal and come across individual references and old uh, uh, contemporary accounts, diaries, journals, or whatever, and then start trying to piece together. And go, oh, if I tie this piece of material to this piece of material, then I weave back over here the Connections TV show with James Burke you were speaking of. Then you start getting a, a sense of the whole of what was going on. I'm a member, just for our listeners, I'm a member of Mark's uh, subscription service at extremeselfprotection.com. I want to recommend that to everybody because one of the uh, raw videos that you uh, that you sent applies to that in that, you know, I've grown up on a farm. I grew up in uh, in Nebraska and, you know, we'd go out and cut down trees and do things and we'd have little hatchets and do stuff with, with hatchets. And, we'd, right. and then, you know, like my dad and I would throw hatchets around into tree stumps and stuff like that and just goof around. And right. you, know, you don't think about it. You just think, oh yeah, I know how to use an ax or I know how to use mm-hmm. a hatchet. And then uh, in one of the recent raw videos, you're talking about the tomahawk and how you, you know, you, how you, how you grip it, how you pull, what, when you pull, where's the leverage, you know, where's the leverage right. on the blade, where's the leverage on the handle. You know, it's stuff that I never thought of. It's stuff that you know, you've done. Yeah. You know, and when you're, when you're doing it, I'm like, oh yeah, right. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. No, no. Uh, one, thank you for the kind words regarding. I'm glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I mean, uh, one, it's my, you know, it's, it's my bread and butter. It's how I make my living. But two, I'd be alive. I didn't say it's, it's a thing of passion because you know, I, mean, I do this all the time. And you're absolutely right about, you know, everyone's, you know, slung an ax or a hatchet and thrown stuff, but there's, there's correct ways or smarter ways to do things. Anyone who doubts that go to a lumberjack competition. And, and uh, I always, I always badger those guys all the time. Hey, show me this. I mean, you want to get humbled, man. <laughs> get besides. Yeah. Who know how to do something, and they'll just give you something so small to say, "Hey, your toes pointing the wrong way." Really, the toe matters, and how I do. Yeah, everything has a little trick to it, and you know that's what we're trying to bring to it. And that's the, all those little devils in the details are what fascinates the hell out of me. Yeah, it's 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 incredible, and and it's just an eye opening, you know. And yeah. and so much of what you've you've given us here uh, through through the blog, especially uh, the the subscription service, so much of it is just is just eye opening to the the history of what's out there the history of, uh, of frontier life. Now, one of the uh, books you're working on, it's, it's a book you're working on. I, un- I understand yes. the, the frontier stoic life. Yeah. Lesson. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's not just, it's not just combat in the sense of a physical thing, but there's a mental and a philosophical aspect to things here too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So uh, what, what can you tell us about that? Well, how that came about is, um, I think we all look for, you know, you know, creeds or religions or philosophies or theologies that kind of, you know, dovetail with your own view of the world. I mean, I don't think there's any one better than the other as long as you're not hurting anybody. Uh, I, uh, Roman Stoicism, as opposed to Greek Stoicism, always, uh, you know, fascinated me. And uh, I actually, for a while, wrote for one of the uh, the Stoic journals. <laughs> it was, and I absolutely, I mean, big you know, Seneca and Epictetus and Masonius Rufus and all that, loved it. But the more I was reading, the more I got deeper into my own frontier studies, I would just be coming across these cast off lines or these little, you know, people writing to themselves or writing a letter uh, to a wife or someone giving advice, advice on the trail. And I went, these are your Stoics right here. I mean, yeah. the, it's every bit as strong and as poignant as the, what I'm finding in uh, the Roman Stoicism, which in a sense could be academic in a sense. It was meant to be instructive, but often I find, and I still love that, but often what I find in the frontier sort of Stoicism, it 
it seemed to be born of experience. So, you know, it had real world applications. It wasn't just something to impress in the lecture hall. It was something to help you uh, on the trail in real life or get you through grief or get you through a hard time or even tell you how to you know, be happy. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like that old uh, philosophy that you'd get from your, your grandparents, you know, or something, you know, mm-hmm. my, you know, my friends would say things like, well, uh, money, you can't take it with you. But my grandpa would say something like uh, a shroud has no pockets. Yeah, there you go, bro. See, that's a wise man. You know what, Oliver Loving, uh, Charlie Goodnight's friend, the uh, uh, don't cross a river before you come to it and don't borrow trouble. I mean, there's so yeah. much loaded in that sentence all the time. People go, I wonder what that guy's saying about me. Don't borrow the trouble. Man. <laughs> leave it alone. Hey, you wonder if there's going to be a line when we get there? Don't cross that river yet. I mean, it's constant. I mean, whether it's big or small, you want to say, just be right here. That's what he's saying. Just do your business, man. So you've you've kind of gotten some of the Comanche philosophy too a little bit with the like your your morning ritual going outside and just correct doing the doing yeah. the morning walk and and examining some of that and and I appreciate that that's on the on your blog too at mm-hmm. Indigenous Ability um, just just going out in the morning and and uh, experiencing nature I think I think you know that's part of this too is the the rough and tumble uh, combat life the it's being outside you know we don't get we don't get outside enough do we. Agreed. No, I, I think we're, um, and this is clearly just a, a one man's opinion, perhaps yours as well. I think we live in abstractions too much. We're too much, and keep, take this as from both of us. I mean, you're a word slinger yourself. We live with our words, and then we we speeches, and we want to we want to you know argue or just throw out our grand theories and move on. And uh, I, we get a little bit live in our heads too much, perhaps, and just you know stare at screens and words and forget. You know, you're gonna have to have some actual interaction. Just not walk around and go hmm tree. And you go well, let's really dig down. What's going on here? I know it sounds a little bit, uh, you know, esoteric, but uh, it's been an incredibly rewarding uh, uh, practice for me to learn how to dial in and look. It's, I think it feels like the Suaketu or some of these old indigenous practices are almost the opposite of what people think of as meditation, because often meditation seems to be doing this inward look and turning everything off. And if I'm mischaracterizing that, that's my poor understanding of what's going on there. Where a lot of them find this indigenous practice is you are not self-reflecting. You don't want to see yourself. You're trying to just reflect the world. What are you smelling now? What are you feeling now? Tasting, looking at now, and just constantly stay attent, intent on what the reflection of is out there, not your impressions of it. You're just trying to constantly pull on that detail that's out there. And I find the more that I'm out of my head, I mean, I guess literally and figuratively, uh, the happier I am, the better off I am, the more things I can find, the more I can appreciate people around me because I'm really listening or looking at them or paying attention or going, hmm, that tree leaning this way is telling me this. Yeah, you know, get, you get into that flow, you, you know, you're just doing it. You're just out there doing things and you're not really right. thinking, you're just doing it. And oh, that's, yeah. That's so, so fantastic. Whether, whether you're a writer or a, a mechanic or, or whatever you're doing, you know, it's just. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I don't, uh, you know, it's, it's most of these practices are just coming from warrior traditions. Or if you would say, hey, Jim Bridger, I mean, we have these accounts of people always talking about him just looking at the ground and looking at the sky and then moving around and going, he's, he's just read the book. He knows everything that's going on and everyone's going to have to get in a meeting and confab and figure out what we think is going to happen. Just look at Jim. Jim already read it. He saw everything. He knows what's going on. Let's, let's talk about the Western genre a little bit. So, have you know, where did you grow up? Have you always been interested in the West? You know, uh, no, I, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, then spent a little bit of time in Texas. But my uh, mother and father's family is here in Knoxville. But I've been here in Knoxville, Tennessee for so long. I, I consider myself a, a Tennessean. As far as uh, the West, always, no. Uh, that uh, I think that's only been a little over... 
a decade and a half. Uh, it, it began with clearly when I started expanding my research for the boxing and wrestling, and I realized how much wealth of other material there was going on out there. And then uh, also parting that was uh, I always like, you know, try new things, probably like most people do. I mean, my reading in uh, just uh, fiction taste, it always skewed towards, you know, adventure fiction or crime fiction, mystery fiction. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of science fiction, but I always like to occasionally test the waters and try a new genre. I'll pick I'll find someone's got a list of the 100 best something, even 100 best romances. I'll pick the top 10 and read them just to see if this is my thing. There was some good titles on there, but didn't click. I did the same thing a few decades back with the, the Western genre, and I was just floored by how much diversity occurs there. And yeah, to be, to be fair, yes, there is formulaic work there. And I think that's what a lot of people who aren't Western readers are thinking that when they think of Western fiction, but I'm I'm just continually surprised at how shockingly different and varied it can be uh, with within the, the Western genre. Where I think the Western for me is primarily the, the, the environment is 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 a character. That's a huge thing that I don't find anywhere else. Where you know your interaction and how you re- react to the land around you, the smells and the taste, or the harshness of it, is part and parcel of it. But once I found, uh, I started reading that area, then I realized it's almost like I occasionally try and read other fiction to shake myself out of it, see if there's other things I like, and I can enjoy other things. But I continually fall back over here and go, no, even a good B Western for me so far has got more truth and good feel to me than a uh, stick to the ribs feel than you know just another. I'm a cop with a, with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I'm so excited about, about like Western writers of America is that they, they give their spur award out to uh, all writers that, that write in the Western tradition. And that doesn't just mean, you know, our traditional Westerns, like I might like to read or, or I read growing up or that I might like to even write sometimes, uh, you know, the, shoot them up a uh, cop with a gun kind of thing. But uh, you know, like this week, for instance, I've been interested in uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to blow this name probably, but uh uh, Chloe Zhao, who uh, just won for uh, Nomadland, just won the Oscar mm-hmm. for Nomadland. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, you know, Nomadland is a Western. I, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who say it's not a Western, but it, it, to me, it's a Western. You know, no, to, I agree with you. Yeah. Her, her, her movies, you know, I just, we watched, my wife and I watched uh, Songs My Brother Taught, My Brothers Taught Me, which is a uh, just incredible film about life on the Pine Ridge Reservation. You know, mm-hmm. it's just incredible. Um, really incredible film. Yeah, I, it's not a shoot 'em up. You know, it's not shoot 'em up stuff. No, and uh, it's just there is, as you said, there's so much diversity out there that that is the West because the West itself is the character, as you just as you absolutely. Just, and I think you know that as well. There's not a sameness to it. I mean, you can again to be fair. Again, there can be some formulaic stuff, but there's not a sameness to the Western. I don't when I pick something up, I don't know if it is as you said. Something's got a, a, a sad and elegiacness to it. But growing up on a reservation. I don't know if I am reading a revenge tale. And don't get me wrong, I can enjoy all those things. And uh, I, I don't know if this is a sweet family tale. I don't know. I remember reading, um, oh, with D.B. Jackson's novel, uh, Unbroke Horses. Yeah. The, the twist and the turns in that, where we've got something so stark and almost vicious and brutal in the first half of the novel, and the second half goes to something that isn't that. And normally I think that would disappoint me, but there's a this, such a big heartedness to it in that second half and just just knocks me on my butt going wow how does a man an author write this and make me feel so many things with it and keep me surprised and i just i just dig how much variety there is within the genre 
So you write at westernmusings.com, which is a mm-hmm. blog of kind of a reviews and things. How do you decide, you know, do you do that regularly? How do you decide what to do and when? Do you just kind of do it on whenever you feel like it? Or? Yeah, that's kind of a when I feel like it because, you know, yeah. you know, it's like everyone else. You got to keep a roof over your head and do your day job and all that. So most of my uh, work goes towards the, uh, obviously, the, the training material, uh, the indigenous ability and all the, the books and videos we work on. But the Western Museum is just, that is truly, you know, it's a labor of love. It, it's just, um, I love good Western novel recommendations. And I think, uh, as you're probably aware of, even though you guys give out so many great recommendations, it's hard to come across good sources for it. And I'm not saying I'm a good source by any stretch. I'm just trying to throw out my own idiosyncratic, hey, this is one I like. Here's a pretty good one. And I, for the most part, if they're just the blog is basically just a series of reviews for the most part. And I've not always been true to this. I don't like, if I don't like a book, I don't like to throw it up there unless it just really, it just kind of stuck with me. Well, why does anyone like this? But for the, right. It's something that's, I mean, I either absolutely loved or I respected in some sense. So I read way more than actually gets thrown up in the blog, but I just hate to slag off on anyone. And so I go, yeah, I just, I just won't mention this one. I'd like to wrap up our conversation by uh, pointing listeners to your websites, extremeselfprotection.com, indigenousability.blogspot.com. Those are two places, the the uh, Western Musings blog that we just talked about as well. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you being with us, Mark. Um, oh, thank it's you. It's been a pleasure, and I, I wish we had more time on the podcast here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up and uh, say till next time. We'll see you. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Rich. And thanks to you for listening. Paul and I appreciate your support of our Six Gun Justice podcast and hope you continue to enjoy each and every episode. As always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Wolfpack Publishing, author Chris Enns, and the Western Writers of America for making this podcast possible. Be sure to check our website, www.sixgunjustice.com, for links to previous podcast episodes, speed listens, and prior conversations along with reviews, interviews, and articles from the Western genre. Till next time, keep the sun at your back and a good horse at hand. Let's ride.